Welcome to an enlightened hour of interactive talk. This is Guided Spirit Conversations with host Marla Goldberg. In this program, we spotlight guests from all over the globe who have helped others change their lives and will provide you with the tips, tools, and techniques that you need to help you make a difference in your own life. Now, here is Marla Goldberg. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to Guided Spirit Conversations. It's me, Marla Goldberg, your host, and I'm so happy to be back in my office so you can see the pretty background rather than the blurry background for those who look at the video portion of this. Today, I am really excited to share our my guest. His name is Robert Schwartz, and Robert is a hypnotist who offers between-life soul regression to help people heal and understand their life plan. Rob's first book, Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned to, excuse me, planned before you were born, explores the pre-birth planning of physical illness, having disabled children, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, and accidents. In his second book, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, explores the pre-birth planning of spiritual awakening, miscarriage, abortion, suicide, caregiving, sexuality, adoption, having pets, poverty, mental illness, and other life challenges and experiences. He is also the author of Your Soul's Love, Living the Love You Planned Before You Were Born, about the pre-birth planning of challenges related to romantic relationships or their absence, infidelity, impotence, raising children alone after the death of, a, of one's partner, being single, and celibate relationships. Rob's books have been translated into 26 languages. He teaches internationally on the subject of pre-birth planning, such as venues like the United Nations, Kripalu, 1440 Multiversity, and Hollyhock. Welcome, Robert. How are you doing today? I'm well, Marla. It's good to be here with you. I'm so happy that you're here. As I was telling Rob before the show started, um, knowing he's coming on as a guest, I did a deep dive into his books. I got into, I've gotten through the first book, Your Soul's Plan, which I loved and had so many epiphanies. I'm in the last quarter of The Soul's Gift, and I'm chomping at the bit to get into The Soul's Love. So, Rob, how did you get into this to begin with? How did you, were you in the mainstream, and then something happened that catapulted you into becoming a hypnotist and going after the pre-life planning? Yeah, I was very much in the mainstream. I actually have an MBA and was in the corporate world for a number of years, self-employed as a marketing and communications consultant. Uh, I did not like that work at all. And around the age of 40, I started to have an existential crisis about all of this. And I felt that I was supposed to be doing something else with my life, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't even know how to figure out what it was. Uh, but then uh, spirit intervened and a number of very powerful things happened within a short time of each other. I had a session with the medium, my first ever, in which she channeled my spirit guides and they introduced me to the concept of pre-birth planning, which I had never even heard of prior to the session. And then shortly after that, uh, I was introduced to a woman who has the ability to channel her soul. So I spoke with her soul at length for about 15 hours. Wow. And in this 15 hours of channeling, her soul told me exactly how pre-birth planning works. And then on top of both of those things, 
I had a spiritually transformative experience in which I was doing nothing more than walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon. And I had this experience in which every time I looked at another person, this feeling of divine unconditional love would wash over me. And to describe it as divine unconditional love doesn't do it justice. There are really no words to describe it. But there was this, this overwhelming love for every person I saw. And all these people that I was looking at were total strangers, of course. And I understood intuitively that it was a gift from my soul. It was my soul saying to me, this love is who you really are. This is your true nature. And I found out much later why I was given that experience. And it was because when I did the research for the books and looked at many, many people's pre-birth plans, every plan was always based on complete unconditional love for every person involved. And so this was my soul's way of confirming to me in advance that what I found in my research was actually correct. Well, 15 hours is a long time. What did you learn during that session or those sessions about how pre-birth planning works? Well, this woman's higher self, her soul, told me in detail about all the challenges that had been discussed for her as possible experiences. And then some of those were chosen, and the soul told me why. Some were not chosen, and her soul told me why not. But her soul basically walked me through the whole process. And, and basically what the process consists of is that uh, when the soul decides it wants to have an incarnation, uh, it picks a point in linear time and a location in which to be born. Uh, and then it decides what it wants to learn and sets up certain challenges that are intended to foster that particular learning. Then once the plan is in place, the soul creates the personality which is a portion of the soul's energy that will go into the physical body. Then the soul informs the personality of what the life plan consists of. At that point, almost everybody agrees to the life plan and then incarnates. But there's a very small percentage of people who start to feel human emotions like fear and doubt. And if you express fear and doubt that perhaps the plan is too difficult, uh, then your soul and your guides attempt to convey to you that it's actually for your highest good. At that point, the vast majority who expressed fear or doubt then say, okay, I'm on board, and they incarnate. But there's a small percentage of the percentage who express doubt, who continue to express doubt. And if you do that, the plan is amended until it's acceptable to you. So bottom line, no one is forced to do anything. I found that really interesting that you know, there's souls that might be hesitant. You were talking, there was a woman, I'm trying to remember which story it is because you have so many great stories. Um, but something happened and, and the soul that did the, the, the thing, I, which I'm so sorry, I'm not clear on because I've listened to so many of them, but where they were really hesitant about coming into the life plan. And it was about the son, the mother whose son who was sent to um, away for school. I don't know if you're remembering this, who this is, but, and then he came back in the next life, but that there was a hesitancy to be a part of it. But the woman said, no, no, I can deal with this. Yeah, there, there is sometimes a hesitancy to be part of somebody's pre-birth plan. So the way this works is that you and the other members of your soul group uh, have many, many lives together in which you play every conceivable role for each other. Uh, the members of your soul group are at the same stage of evolution as you. In other words, the same frequency or vibration. 
And you play all kinds of roles, including some that we would call negative. So very often, let's say a soul wants to deepen in compassion. That's the pre-birth intention. So frequently, souls create what I call learning through opposite life plans. They incarnate in a situation in which they will experience the exact opposite of the quality they want to cultivate. So if you wanted to deepen in compassion, a very common choice would be to incarnate in a nuclear family in which you will be treated with a profound lack of compassion. The absence of compassion in the external environment is intended to drive you within where hopefully you will cultivate self-compassion. And then if you manage to do that, the life plan calls for taking the compassion you've cultivated towards self and later in life, turning it outward in service to others. But if you're going to do that kind of learning through opposites life plan, you need members of your soul group to play the quote unquote negative roles in the nuclear family. So when you approach the other members of your soul group, sometimes they say, yes, of course, I'll, I'll play that role for you. But sometimes they say things like, well, I'm not sure that I want to do that. I'm not sure that I want to treat you with a lack of compassion. And then you have a dialogue about it. You would say to them, well, I've thought seriously about this. And I feel that this is the most effective way for me to learn compassion. Would you please play that role for me? Uh, and then sometimes the other soul agrees, sometimes they don't, and then you have to ask somebody else. Which is fascinating. Where does free, free, free will play into all of this? So everyone has total free will at every moment of an incarnation. Your soul knows that you have free will. Your soul wants you to have free will because that's how genuine learning occurs. In other words, if nobody had free will, we would be automatons and we would just be going through the motions robotically, never really learning anything. So there's an intersection between free will and pre-birth planning. When we talk about pre-birth planning, we're not saying that everything is set in stone. Actually, very few things are set in stone. The vast majority of the plans are potentials or probabilities. Which ones actualize depend upon your free will decisions. So there's a framework that encompasses the life plan. You can't use your free will to go outside the limitations of the framework, but within the framework, you have total free will and the choices you make determine what actually happens. And how, because choice is so important. What about thought form? How does that play into pre-birth planning? Like when you're in human form and you have you're trying to learn lessons, but you have negative thought forms um, and they just keep, you know, like, like taking you off track, so to speak. Well, thought form, your thoughts are magnetic. So if you think positive, loving thoughts, you draw to yourself more positive, loving energy and other positive, loving thoughts. If you think negative thoughts, the opposite happens. You draw to yourself negative thoughts, negative energies. And so there are positive cycles of that and negative cycles, and they reinforce themselves. So if you are in one of these positive self-reinforcing cycles, then you're actualizing the higher vibrational potentials in your pre-birth plan. If you're in one of those negative self-perpetuating cycles, then you're actualizing the lower vibrational portions of the pre-birth plan. Uh, let me put it this way. My wife is a channel. And she channels a collective of beings who we call the beings of light. And what they've told us is think of the life plans as a stack of a sheet, sheets of paper. And the sheets that are at the top are the highest vibrational potentials. The sheets at the bottom are the lowest. 
Well, if you're thinking positive, loving thoughts, you're taking a sheet from the top of the stack. If you're thinking negative, unloving thoughts, then you're going to pull a sheet from the bottom of the stack. That's essentially how it works. Okay. That's fascinating. In your second book, Your Soul's Gift, so you explore in more depth the pre-birth planning of spiritual awakening, miscarriage, abortion, which I thought was so fascinating, Um, caregiving, abusive relationships. So when you were doing that, why why did you find that these were important areas to address uh, for people to understand why they why these things are coming into their current physical life? Well, when I, when I chose the topics for the chapters in the three books, I was intentionally choosing very common life challenges because I wanted the books to help as many people as possible. Now, the reason I chose those particular topics, uh, one of my colleagues who is in the second and third books uh, channels Jesus, and I asked him very early on in a channeling session for the second book, how do I decide which of the many topics to actually put in the books? And he said, just follow your interests, follow your excitement. That is your guidance telling you that these are the stories that will help people the most. And so I did that. Whenever something captured my interest, it went into the book. It was as simple as that. So I'm going to address a couple of things. Addiction. So you have this pre-life plan you because you need to have lessons learned by being an addict, when you get control of your addiction, whatever the addiction might be, whether it's sex or shopping or drugs or alcohol, um, does that then stop, like it sort of meets the requirement of the plan that was set forth before you're born, so you don't have to do it again in future incarnations? Well, it, it might or might not. Uh, you decide, every soul decides for themselves how deep you want to go with a particular lesson. So if you take something like compassion, for example, it's like peeling the layers of an onion. You can go deeper and deeper and deeper, almost into infinity. So there's nobody external to you saying you have to do this much learning with compassion. You decide for yourself at the end of every lifetime when you have a life review, I feel complete with that lesson, I'm going on to something else, or I feel incomplete. I'd like to go deeper with compassion or whatever it might be. So in the case of the person who had the drug addiction, uh, this was somebody who planned before he was born to have a heroin addiction. The reason he wanted to have this experience is that he'd had a number of past lives in which he was able to do what we would call magical sorts of things. He had some unusual abilities and he wanted to recapture that feeling of magic in a different way And his choice was to do it through this particular addiction. Then he needed somebody to be the play the part of the loving mother who would guide him through this very difficult experience. He went to another soul in his soul group who actually had just gotten to the point where she no longer needed to incarnate ever again. So she was about to go off and to do to do something else. But he said to her, I'm planning this addiction for this reason and that reason. Would you be the mother who lovingly shepherds me through this experience? And because they'd had a number of past lives together and there was so much love between the two of them, she put her own personal plans aside and said, yes, I will do that for you. And that's the role that she went on to play. And so I know this is probably longer than two minutes. Um, 
So, because it's really interesting when you said she got to a place where she no longer had to incarnate again, but chose to help this other soul out. When do you no longer, what, what, what point do you have to reach so you don't have to incarnate any further? And do people just want to stay in the spiritual realm or do they really want to come back down to earth to help? Well, I probably should not have used the word had to incarnate because my understanding is nobody has to come back if they don't want to. Uh, and when people are in body, particularly if their life has a lot of suffering in it, people always think, oh, I would never do this again. I'm never coming back. But your perspective on the other side is very different than it is when you're here in body. One of the main differences is that from the non-physical vantage point, you know that all of the learning that comes out of a lifetime becomes part of you for all eternity, literally all eternity. You also know that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here. So from that vantage point, that you're not going to be permanently harmed in any way, and yet the wisdom will become part of you literally for all eternity. From that vantage point, people make decisions that they would not make from the incarnate vantage point. But you decide after your life review, I'm complete with these lessons or I'm not, I'm going on to something else, or I want to go deeper into the same lessons. It's totally up to you. Interesting. Okay, we need to go on a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned with more of Robert Schwartz and pre-birth planning. Take, stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a f***ing long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My F***ing Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path to Learn to Live a More Self-Loving Life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. Have you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original Scream Pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, everyone. Thank you for sticking around. If you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Robert Schwartz. Robert is the author of Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of Life You Planned Before You Were Born, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, and Your Soul's Love, 
living the love you planned before you were born. Rob is a between-life soul regression hypnotherapist, and he helps people to understand their life plan and to heal. Welcome back, Rob. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, So happy. Just enjoying this conversation. We have a question from Sherry, and Sherry asks, what do you feel we do on the other side? We do all kinds of things. We create homes for ourselves. We take classes in whatever subjects we would like to learn about. We play games. Uh, These are non-competitive games in which there are no losers. Everybody wins. Uh, We have certain roles on the other side. And a lot of times what a person is doing in an earth incarnation is closely related to your role on the other side. But then there are other times where people do things that are completely different. Uh, For example, my maternal grandfather, when he was in body, owned a furniture store. Uh, I've spoken to him since he crossed over. His role on the other side is that he researches the properties of water. So you just never know. I have an uncle who in this lifetime, uh, his only compelling interest was betting on horses at the racetrack. He didn't do anything else with his free time. I've heard from him since he crossed over. On the other side, he's actually an explorer going from galaxy to galaxy. So his role on the other side is the complete opposite of what he did when he was in body. Which is so interesting. Do people get stuck on the other side doing the same things that they got stuck doing on or when they were embodied in human form? Well, you know, you have certain tendencies or habitual patterns of behavior And those can become ingrained if you continue with them over lifetime, over lifetime. So the fact that you leave a physical body and transition back into the non-physical realm, that doesn't automatically make you enlightened. In fact, it doesn't make you any different than you were when you were in body. You're still essentially the same being with the same beliefs, the same tendencies, the same patterns of behavior. And if there are things among those patterns of behavior that you would like to change, then you plan another incarnation with catalysts or challenges that will push you to change those things. Earlier in the first segment, we were talking, you mentioned that as you're getting ready to incarnate, you start, your personality starts to form. Is this personality that you have a thread throughout all of your physical lifetimes or the way you are on the spirit side? My, my understanding is that essentially the answer is yes, that you have an eternal character. Uh, this is often expressed in terms of an archetype. So, for example, there's a body of channel literature called the Michael system. Michael is a group consciousness or a collective that has channeled a lot of information about life plan relative to soul age and soul archetype. And I, I'm not an expert in the system, and I don't recall all the archetypes, but some of them are priest, king, warrior. I'm in the priest archetype, for example. So that is your uh, core character, so to speak. But then in each incarnation, you obviously have, you're exposed to different forms of conditioning, different beliefs by the society you incarnate in, different parents. And so you grow up in each lifetime with different conditioning that creates different personality quirks that are sort of around the central eternal character. That's how I understand it. Okay. So people like you and I who are in this metaphysical path on our spiritual journey, we've been that way before, we'll be that way moving forward. Of course, 
along with our lessons that we need to learn and the challenges we bring into our lifetimes? That, that's my understanding. So for somebody like myself, who's in the priest archetype in the Michael system, uh, I know, for example, I've had Native American incarnations in which I was the shaman of the Native American tribe. That's closely related to a priest archetype. We all do things like that. Fascinating. I really like that. Let's talk about your new book, Your Soul's Love. Um, it's about the pre-birth planning of challenges related to romantic relationships. How did that come to fruition to have the, yeah, as a third book? And share some, I don't know, some tidbits you think people might be interested in finding out about infidelity, um, you know, re- relationships gone bad abusive relationships, how we choose and why? Well, the, the way that, that I decided on that as a subject for a book, uh, it was actually my wife's idea. I was going to go off in another direction, but she came up with this and I thought, well, that could help a lot of people. Everybody has their challenges with romantic relationships. Um, one of the most interesting stories in that book to me, there's a chapter called Interdimensional Parenting. And it's the story of uh, a German woman who lives in Mexico. She married a Mexican man. He was an adventure sports reporter. So they had a, a child named Luca. And shortly after Luca was born, uh, her husband was covering an adventure sports uh, event of some kind. He went up in an airplane with uh, a pilot and the plane crashed and both the pilot and this man were killed. And right after he died, he came to his wife and he said to her, you know, he was in his spirit body. He said to her, uh, this has happened. I've been killed in a plane crash. And this was part of our pre-birth plan. We all agreed that this would happen. And I'm going to help you raise Luca. I'm going to help you from the other side. And that's what interdimensional parenting is. Very often when one of the two partners dies, if there are children involved, The one who has died will help the one who's still incarnate from the other side. What I found really interesting, just as an anecdote, uh, this woman shared with me that when Luca was about four years old, he came to her and he said, Mama, I'm going to create a drawing of everybody who lives here in our house. And so she thought, oh, that's nice. He's going to draw me. He's going to draw our cats. He's going to draw dogs. He'll draw himself. So Luca goes off, he comes back an hour later, he's got this drawing with crayon, you know, and she looks at it and she says, well, Luca, I see myself, I see our cats, I see our dogs, I see you, but there's this strange egg-shaped figure in the middle with little stick arms and stick legs and a little head sticking out. She said, who or what is that? And Luca said, that's Papa. So he was seeing his father in the house with them. That's interdimensional parenting. That's amazing. And the fact that kids are so pure when they're young, they see things that people say, oh, it's not not real. And they really sort of quash their abilities to stay sensitive and open to seeing things that other grownups stop seeing. I think that's true. And it's particularly a problem in Western societies. In Eastern societies, they're much more open to this kind of thing. Why do you think the Western society is is a little bit more uh, disbelieving? I, I don't know the origins of that. It's not something I've looked into. But uh, it's very clear to me that in Western societies, the mind has been put on a throne. 
and the heart is in service to the mind for the average Westerner, that is the exact opposite of the plan for humanity as I understand it. The plan for humanity is to develop heart-based consciousness mm -hmm. where the mind is in service to the heart, not the other way around. And I think that is starting to happen now. That's what the ascension process is all about. Well, it feels that way because so many people are now starting to open to their spiritual awakening, their path, and now starting to understand things that were talked about that they might have poo-pooed 20 years ago that they're now on board with. Yeah, it's very clear to me, you know, given the nature of the work that I do, there are more and more people awakening all the time, and the pace of the global awakening is accelerating. So within just the next few years, I think we're going to see a massive worldwide spiritual awakening. Which I think would be so incredible and so helpful because it would be nice if people started treating each other, humans started treating each other with a little bit more love, compassion, and respect. Yeah, definitely. And I hope my books play some role in encouraging that. Well, I think I, I haven't come across any books that are like yours and like I said, I don't deep dive like this. So when I say I've done it, for me, it is because it, it is fascinating and it's educational. And there's so many things that, like I said, before we even got on, that I had these epiphanies, these awakenings, like, oh, my God, that's why that happened. And I've been doing this. I've been on my path for 20 years. So, you know, there's still more to learn. But this is a, another way of sort of like getting into seeing things and bringing them into your forefront. Let's talk about the soul groups. I know we talked a little bit about it, but how they play into our life planning, because I know we've all played with each other in past lives, but how do we determine, like in this pre-birth planning, who we're going to have in this current lifetime, in this moment that we're at right now? Well, a lot of it is based on love and trust that have been established in multiple past lifetimes. Uh, so, you know, if you think about it, if you're asking another soul in your soul group to play a quote-unquote negative role and mistreat you in some way as a catalyst to generating greater compassion, greater love, empathy, whatever it might be, who do you want to play the negative role? A soul that you do not have a lot of love and trust with in a history of incarnations or a soul that you know well and can trust to play the role responsibly? Well, you, you would choose the latter. If you think of the life of Jesus, for example, who did he choose to play the role of Judas? That was scripted pre-birth. He chose a soul that he knew well, had a lot of love between them, and he knew he could trust that soul to play the role of Judas to perfection, which is exactly what happened. So you are choosing uh, among the members of your soul group, those who you feel you can trust the most to play the role just as you want it to be played. Well, that makes perfect sense about doing that. So how does karma fit into all of this How, as you understand it? Well, first we have to define what karma is. A lot of people think of karma as some sort of cosmic debt, and that is not at all what I've seen in my work. What I've seen in my work is that it's a sense of unbalanced energy. So for example, you get to your life review, and let's say that in the previous incarnation, you were somebody's caregiver. So you see this caregiving relationship in the life review, and when you're done viewing those scenes, you decide, okay, uh, I feel complete with that caregiving experience. I'm going on to something else now, or I feel incomplete with it. There's more to do and more to learn there. 
The feeling of incompletion is the karma, as I understand it. So let's say you feel that way. What would you do to balance the karma? Well, the easiest, simplest, most direct thing is simply to trade places. So now you plan the life challenge of physical illness, and the person who had the physical illness who you were caring for in the previous lifetime now plans to be your caregiver. You just simply trade places. How do diseases like cancer fit into this, um, this pre-birth planning? So what I've seen in my work is that a lot of times when something challenging is being planned, it's planned because it's hoped that it will be a catalyst toward cultivating certain qualities that are important to the soul. I refer to these qualities as divine virtues. Uh, and over a period of years, as I looked at many, many people's pre-birth plans for the books, I put together a list of the virtues that came up the most often in the pre-birth planning sessions. I think there are now 28 on the list. It's things like unconditional love, compassion, patience, empathy, acceptance, forgiveness, and so on. So the average soul is working on two or three virtues in a lifetime, occasionally four or five. And the, the idea is that you will have certain catalysts or challenges that will provide you with both the opportunity and the motivation to cultivate the virtues. So cancer is a major catalyst, obviously. And the hope is that you will respond to the cancer by going within, cultivating self-compassion, self-kindness, self-love, whatever it is you're focused on. And then having done that, take the love, kindness, compassion you've cultivated towards self and eventually turn it outward in service to others. That's essentially how something like cancer works. That's that's really interesting. Because the disease, people are so afraid of it, this particular disease, but now they're afraid of COVID. How does something like COVID fit into all of the pre-birth planning of the world? Because does the world have a pre-birth plan as well as the individual? My understanding is that it does and that we're the plan for this lifetime is ascension. We're moving from the third dimension through the fourth and into the fifth. And the fifth dimension, as I understand it, is a dimension of unconditional love. So we have chosen to incarnate at a pivotal time in Earth's history uh, and my understanding is that if you're here in body on earth for the ascension, you had to make a one in three cut. There were three times as many souls as available bodies. And in order to make that one in three cut, you had to have something specific to offer the ascension. So, you know, our, our world is filled with people who feel small, powerless, weak, insignificant, helpless. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you're in body on earth at this time, you were chosen one out of three because you had something specific to offer the ascension process. That's powerful. That's powerful for somebody to hear, especially if they're feeling, like you said, like little and, and powerless and, you know, and, and that they can't get out of their circumstance. Well, and, and that's essentially the, the basis for all three books that I wrote. You know, the main thing that a perspective on pre-birth planning does is it takes you out of victim consciousness. Once you know that you are the powerful, courageous soul who planned your biggest challenges, even if you don't know why you planned them, the simple knowledge that you planned them will pull you out of victim consciousness. Victim consciousness is the lowest frequency a human being can be at, and it tends to be self-perpetuating because when you believe that you're a victim, you energetically state to the universe that you are a victim. 
Well, when you do that, you draw to yourself more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are, in fact, a victim. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is simply to understand that you are the powerful, courageous soul who planned the challenges. And you're the pilot of your life. Exactly. Perfect. Rob, let's hang on here a second. We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of Rob Schwartz and his amazing books and insights. So stick around. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a fucking long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My Fucking Long Journey to Loving Myself, a guide to a shorter path to learn to live a more self-loving life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. Have you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original Scream Pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, everyone. Thank you for sticking around. It's been a phenomenal conversation with Rob Schwartz. We're on our last segment. And I'm so, if you're just tuning in, you've got to listen to the pre the, the replay because this is so powerful. But Rob is a hypnotherapist who offers between life cell regression. He helps people to heal and understand their life plan. He has three books, Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born. The Soul's Gifts, The Healing Power of Life You Planned Before You Were Born, and Your Soul's Love, Living the Love You Planned Before You Were Born. Um, Check out Rob at YourSoulsPlan.com. He is putting on a workshop very, very soon on the 31st of October. It's a one-day workshop, and then he has another two-day workshop in December, which we'll talk about right after we get through with the charity shout-out. So it's charity shout-out time, and Rob, your charity is... Uh, it's tree sisters. They're helping to repopulate trees in the world. Which are so necessary because of all of the wildfires that are going on. Um, so how can people help with tree sisters? Uh, Google tree sisters, go to their website and make a donation, please. And it's treesisters.org. Check them out. We can't have enough trees because people keep cutting them down or burning them. And we need them for our ecosystem. We need them for 
our animals are just for everything. So check out treesisters.com. Thank you. We have another question. Do you feel souls are dying now because they cannot go forward into the 4D or 5D? Or is it because they can help more from the other side? I think there's probably some of both, but I think it's more that they've decided they can help better from the other side. Great. That's really helpful. So I do have a couple of questions I have for you. Well, first of all, I'd like you to talk about your workshops. You've got one in October. Sure. The the October 31st workshop is a between-life soul regression. Uh, So what is a between-life soul regression? It's a a form of hypnosis, a a very long session. It usually takes between two and three hours. Uh, It starts with some preliminary steps to help you relax physically and mentally. When those are complete, I guide you into a past life. It's almost always a past life that had a big impact on the plan for the current lifetime. You experience four scenes in the past life, the last of which is the death scene. The portion of your consciousness that is having the experience leaves the body in the death scene in the past life and crosses over to the other side, which I know might sound a little bit ominous, but there's actually nothing to it. It's very easy and gentle. When you get back to the other side, most likely you'll be greeted by a spirit guide, but it could be a deceased loved one, an angel, an ascended master. Whoever greets you, you'll talk to them about the past life and find out what's important for you to know about it. And then that being will take you to what is called the Council of Elders. The council consists of the very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who oversee the cycle of reincarnation on earth. They know literally everything about you, every past life you had, and everything about the plan for the current lifetime. So when you get in front of the council, I will prompt you to ask a very long and extensive series of questions that will cover all the major areas of your life. By the time this whole process is done, you should come out of the session with a much better idea of what you planned why you planned it, how you're doing in terms of fulfilling your plan, and what you can do to better fulfill your plan. Uh, Also, a lot of people will come out of a between lives regression and they'll talk about the great unconditional love they feel emanating from the council and also the total lack of judgment. So they'll say things like, I could tell that the council knew literally everything about me, including all the bad things I've ever done, and yet they loved me completely and unconditionally anyway. That's what the non-physical realm we come from is like. But for the average person who's now in a body, that's probably the first time they've felt that kind of unconditional love since they incarnated. So it's really a homecoming of sorts. People also say things like, well, the council answered literally every question I asked. I have no more questions about my life. So this is potentially a life-changing experience. Sounds fascinating. And the second workshop in December... So that's December 11 and 12. Uh, It will end with a group between lives regression, but it's got three earlier components. A talk I give about pre-birth planning. We do something called the divine virtues exercise that tells you which qualities you're cultivating in this lifetime. And then we do a contact a loved one regression to contact one or more loved ones who are back on the other side. And very often people will contact multiple loved ones, including a pet or pets who are now back on the other side. And some of us have many of them. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about walk-in souls real quick before I'm going to you know, let you finish with whatever I haven't asked you that you'd like to share. But how do walk-in souls work into the pre-birth plan for our lives today? 
So a, a walk-in experience, both for the soul that's walking out of the body and the soul that's walking in, that is a pre-birth agreement. Uh, what happens is that, and it usually happens in an accident or a severe illness, the incarnate soul will often go into some kind of coma for some period of time during which it leaves the physical body. Now, generally, the physical body would then cease to exist or cease to function. But because there's this agreement for another soul to walk in, the other soul then comes into the body. And when the person comes out of a coma, because there's a new soul in the body, there's often a profound change in personality. So the loved ones, the family members of the person who was in the coma or who had the severe illness will say things like, we feel like we don't know this person anymore. They've changed completely because of their illness or their accident. Well, they actually have changed completely. It's a new soul that's in the body. There's a, a very famous walk-in that you will know of, and that is Saddam Hussein. As I understand it, toward the end of the war with Iraq, Hussein was walking along a riverbank by himself in Iraq. This was shortly before he was captured. His soul walked out. Another soul came in. Now, this soul, think about the timing. This soul came into that body knowing that Hussein was about to be captured, imprisoned, tried, convicted, and put to death. Why in the world would any soul want those experiences? Well, that is a catalyst for all kinds of divine virtues, compassion, empathy, self-love, unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, and many others. That is a unique set of circumstances that could really propel soul growth. From the human perspective, nobody would want those experiences, but from the soul perspective, knowing that it's temporary and no one is permanently harmed, that is an invaluable opportunity. It is. When you put it that way, when you think about it, it's very important. It's very valuable. So, Rob, we're getting close to the end. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to share? Well, I think the, the message I would like to leave people with is this. You know, it's my understanding that Earth is literally the most difficult planet in our universe on which to have a lifetime. And after you've incarnated here, it becomes part of what is called your energy signature. Your energy signature consists of a combination of your unique color and your unique sound. This is how other beings identify you in the non-physical realm. Names are not so important. So after you've had a lifetime on Earth, it becomes part of your energy signature. So when this lifetime is over, as you are traveling around the universe doing whatever you choose to do, other beings see in your signature that you were on Earth. And the reaction, as I understand it, is something along the lines of, you went to Earth? Oh. And they're tremendously impressed because they know how difficult it is here, and they know how much courage it takes to have a lifetime on Earth. So I say this to you as a way of inviting you to Acknowledge and honor the tremendous courage it took for you to come to planet Earth. The fact that you're in a body here now automatically places you among the most courageous beings in the universe. That is so powerful unto itself to know how courageous we are as beings, no matter where you are in your station of life or in what period you're at, whether you're you know, just coming of age or you're struggling to you know, to, to get the life that you want to live and you just feel like you're on a hamster on a wheel. So. Yeah, it, 
takes a tremendous amount of courage to come here and even more courage to execute the Peterborough plan once you're here. Well, we're very courageous people. Remember that. Take that to heart because it definitely will help you, especially if you're having questions about who you are, what you are. You're amazing. And I'm going to leave this conversation with that, that everyone out there has their own element of amazing and sparkle. I like the sparkle. Rob, thank you so much for being a part of the show. This has been so great. Are you coming out with another book? Are you working on one? Just getting started. It'll be a few years, but there will be another one. Well, I hope that the show is still going and I can have you back. I would like Because this has been so informative and I think so powerful for so many people, including myself. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you for all you do. Um, I want to thank everyone at Voice America for taking the effort getting the show up and running with all the expertise for sound and, and experience. So thank you. I want to thank Bridget, my assistant, my right hand, my left hand. I don't know what I'd do without you, especially in the technical area. And I want to thank you, the listening audience, for taking time out of your day, out of your life, to be a part of the show in whatever capacity you're in it, because I do the show to introduce you to People like Rob, who have the most amazing insights through what he's able to do. And speaking of Rob, please check out his website again at YourSoulsPlan.com. What you're going to find, there's channelings, there's so much information. You can find out more about the workshop. Just check Rob out. I don't think you'll be disappointed because it's just powerful information. Um, I want to remind you that Clubhouse If you don't have the Clubhouse app, app, please download it. Sherry Jewell and I will have a room called Spirit Talk and Convos, and we will address lots of spiritual concepts and topics. You can also share your information, your experiences with us, and we're looking forward to it. We launch on Monday, the 11th of October at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Pacific. So I look forward to being a part of our show. Don't let us down. We'd love to know that you're with us on Clubhouse. So follow us, uh, join our room, and be a part of it. So until next week, as always, I send you love. I send you blessings, and I send you gratitude. Know how grateful I am that you're in my life in whatever capacity you're in. It, sorry, I didn't finish that sentence, in it. And if you haven't heard these words today, as always, I say, I love you. So stay well, stay happy, grateful, and joyful. Take care. Bye for now. 